welcome to the Madden America podcast, your source for science, psychiatry, and social justice. Hello, and welcome to the first Mad in the Family podcast. I'm Miranda Spencer, editor of Madden America's Parent Resources section. Today, we're going to talk about a different approach to helping children with behaviors that often get labeled as ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. That's the kid who can't sit still, who disrupts the classroom, who has trouble concentrating, who never seems to complete tasks, and who can be very impulsive. Our guest is Dr. Craig Weiner, a licensed psychologist based in Worcester, Massachusetts, where he specializes in the treatment of children, adolescents, and families. In addition to over 30 years of private practice, he is an assistant professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Dr. Weiner is the author of three books, most recently, Parenting Your Child with ADHD, a no-nonsense guide for nurturing self-reliance and cooperation. Earlier this year, he debuted his three-part video series, ADHD, A Return to Psychology, which appears on the Madden America website and also on YouTube. Today, we're going to have him summarize the approach that he talks about in the videos, which is a new way of looking at ADHD-type behaviors and steps that parents can take to help their children, which he says are more effective than the standard medicalized treatments. Welcome. Uh-huh. So um, let's look back a bit uh, to get started. How did you come to be interested in ADHD in your psychotherapy practice, and when did you realize that the standard way of viewing ADHD-type behaviors was problematic? Well, I, I did a postdoctoral uh, program at a youth guidance center, so many of my clients were uh, diagnosed with ADHD. And uh, I had been trained in a more classical way where I would investigate a person's uh, history of living in the world to try to figure out how to account for what they were doing under particular situations and circumstances. And uh, I saw behavior as um, reinforced in the sense that the behavior solutions to the difficulties of living in the world that the person encounters. And uh, at the time, this is 1979, uh, biology was already getting a kind of a takeover of psychology with the uh, drugs being on the market and the metaphor of uh, diagnoses and uh, disorders is being promulgated. Uh, but I had always held a very different uh, view of psychology. It's something a person does in, in terms of coping. So that view is somewhat at odds anyway for, from a medical perspective, which was uh, positing that individuals who give these list of behaviors are very heterogeneous uh, list of behaviors were somehow suffering from some singular problem. And uh, for me, it was uh, very difficult to even see the groups of people being labeled as having uh, that much similarity. Uh, they might have qualified for the diagnoses, but uh, what would account for their hyperactivity under some conditions and not others? And what was when were they distractible? When were they very emotional, all of this seemed to be much more easily explained in terms of investigating their history of living in the world and how those particular responses might have been uh, responded to and how those responses would have either increased the frequency of the behaviors or decreased the behaviors. 
The other thing was that um, the notion that they had some impairment of functioning was questionable because I, there was never any particular thing that it was uh, consistently impaired. So unlike IQ, which shows a little more consistency and it's much more difficult to alter, these kids would show the behaviors they were supposedly weak in and they were doing just fine in, 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 under some conditions, particularly conditions where they were initiating the activity or the activity had a history of success for them. So all of a sudden they didn't show the problems that were evident when they did their schoolwork or when they were responding to parental uh, expectations or societal limits. So for me, it, it followed a, a, a psychology, you know, learning paradigm much more consistently than a biological view, which is positive in some kind of deficit in functioning. I didn't know what the deficit in functioning was. So it sounds like almost a, a little more intuitive approach. I mean, is there an evidence base for the new biological approach versus what you had always done? Well, the biology people would say that if they give the kids these particular drugs and look, the behaviors change, but uh, that, that just says that if you change this person's uh, biological system, they have different responses. It doesn't tell you why they were doing the other behaviors. If an alcohol, if alcohol person become more sociable, doesn't mean they had a biological problem. They might not have been sociable for all sorts of reasons, but alcohol might help them. So it, didn't, it doesn't tell you the cause of anything. And uh, they all, at that time, they were starting to get into this uh, brain differences uh, stuff where they would have diagnosed individuals and they would uh, do brain scans and, and say the brains are different. Uh, but that only says that if you behave in the world in a particular way, your brain organizes in a particular way. They, they can do the same study with cab drivers in London where they show the uh, certain kind of visual spatial cortex was much more developed for cab drivers because that's how they live in the world. But in fact, I think they do studies that show that if you take any group of behavior that any group of people that do the same kinds of behaviors with a great deal of frequency, you're going to get different brain organizations as a consequence of the co-occurrence of how they live and how their body develops as a consequence of their biology and their environment co-occurring. And then, of course, the twin studies uh, are always used to support the biological view, but the twin studies are problematic. Right now, it's, it, it's um, in my view, Biology changes the probabilities of what you're likely to learn. So if you're seven feet tall, there's a tremendous increase in probability that you're going to learn to play basketball at a very high level. But that doesn't mean there's a basketball gene. It means that if you have a certain kind of physiology, then your learning patterns are going to be different than the case otherwise. If you're, if you're a kid who's got motor coordination problems, your psychosocial History is likely to include more reliance on others to facilitate, more up, more failure rates for sports, certain kinds of consequences socially. So it's it's not like your biology it, it it has nothing to do with it. It changes what you learn, and now as you learn, your biology changes. So all behavior is biology, but it doesn't mean the biology that comes. Evident is uh, defective biology. It means it's an evolved biology. 
And I think the people who look at biology are looking at it as, oh, if it's discrepant from the population at large, they say, well, it's proof that this is some kind of biological disorder that rather than people who show these kinds of biologies might be more likely to learn in particular ways or people who show these biologies have learned to behave in particular ways. It doesn't say that they're uncovering some kind of a, um, entity called ADHD that uh, causes other behaviors to occur. So that's the, the twin studies is if you're similar bodies, you're more likely to have similar bodies in similar environments for identical twins, then your probabilities for learning are going to be similar. And there's no doubt about it, but it doesn't tell you how different you can make people with the introduction of new conditions. And uh, I'm always interested in what conditions can be introduced that might change the outcomes that we're seeing. Uh, not all kids with developmental coordination delay are going to end up with doing ADHD behaviors, and not all active kids at the starting point end up doing ADHD behaviors. So there must be something that can happen along the way that will change the developmental trajectories. Well, speaking of those trajectories, can you please summarize what you say in your videos about how your approach works differently from the usual approaches to the label of kids with a label of ADHD? What do you do instead? Okay, so the usual way is you can induce new behaviors with drugs, and you can also induce new behaviors by a great deal of supervision, which essentially becomes coercion because the the um, chips and charts or contingency management means that one person controls the other individual's access to resources, and you can essentially change behaviors by overseeing somebody and controlling their access to resources. So you can get all kinds of behavior changes in the short term with the drugs and with somebody constantly overseeing your actions, just like you would in any institution. The problem is going to be what other behaviors are learned when one person attempts to control another person's actions, and what behaviors generalize when the overseer is no longer available to manipulate the environment because the, the reinforcement patterns are going to be different when the monitor is not available. So the problem, like with any institutional training, is you don't get much generalization. A person leaves, leaves jail, they may not learn how to function in society if they haven't learned to function in the situations and circumstances that are evident when they live a free life. So the, the problem for people is that they, yes, get some short-term benefits. People with type 2 diabetes get short-term benefits from drugs, but they might get a different kind of benefits from lifestyle changes. But, of course, it's a very difficult problem to get somebody to change their lifestyle. So in my view, you're more likely to get generalization of behavior if the person uh, has a, some sense of buy-in or, the, or the, the activity is reinforced not in relation to an overseer but in relation to the kinds of situations and circumstances that the individual encounters regardless of particular overseers who are controlling their access to resources. They, they have to learn to kind of enjoy school because of what school does in terms of their own sense of what they want. They, have, they want to do a behavior because of the, how it facilitates a relational pattern that's important to them, not because they're going to get some reward from somebody else who controls the rewards. Because you get all kinds of very difficult problems when you try to control people. 
And I think that's the limitation of the traditional view. So the other remarkable thing is that ADHD doesn't occur when the person's interested. So whenever you get the notion of buy-in, where the person has learned to do the activity under their own discretionary authority, you're not getting the kinds of loudness, uh, intrusiveness, distractibility, emotionality. When the person is comfortable doing something they had a history of success with, so why not try to get them to adapt to social expectations in a more comfortable way so that they do the same behaviors that they do already with those behaviors they initiate and enjoy? So my view says I'm just taking what's already occurring and trying to generalize those behaviors to other things that are currently associated with negativity or coercion or failure or some kind of power struggle, or some kind of adversity that the person is having trouble dealing with the limits of um, intrusiveness and avoidance that they are struggling with uh, under those conditions where ADHD is diagnosed. So um, how does this work in real life? A, a parent brings in their child and they have you know, these so-called classic symptoms that you've described, um, and, and the school or some doctor or someone has given the diagnosis of ADHD to them, What? how would you work with that child, and how would you work with the parents also um, to help matters? Yeah, so we've got some people who've been indoctrinated into the view that the child is disordered. Uh, of course, the child's doing behaviors that are, we want to modify because the behaviors aren't helping them, but they've been indoctrinated into the view that this represents some kind of biological deficit playing out, and uh, they, if they've been encouraged to have medication, they've noticed the medications have good instantaneous effects, their kids less sociable and more likely to be intensely concentrating on a task, so they, they have less disruption in school, so they're getting some immediate results. Now, a lot of parents in today's day and age are kind of learning not to always buy into the drug scene. So a lot of parents learn about me and what I can do, and they, they might come to me knowing that I'm going to encourage other kinds of things. Now, if a parent is has adopted the view that the child is deficit or delayed, then I try to help the parent recognize what are the exceptions to this delay, and they start to see that, yeah, the youngster does, these, does fine when they're hiding an object from their sibling. They know where they, where they kept it, where they put it. It's not that it's lost. And why they lose other things. And, and then if they're on the phone and the, the child makes noise and the parent gets off the phone, that's different than if the child's quiet because they don't want the parent off the phone because the, their bedtime is going to be extended. So they notice that the child's behavior varies remarkably with situation and circumstance. And the child, I find children, if the, as long as I'm not an adolescent that just wants the diagnosis for either medication or accommodations, the child smiles at me knowing quite well that, that what I'm saying makes some sense. And it, it starts to make sense to people when, when they start to investigate in more detail the, the patterns of living in the world. It, these things aren't derived from the doctors at a pediatrician's office. These are, these, these are uncovered through an analysis of, through time of what it, what it meant for the child to start to grow up and what they did at first and what the parents did and, 
uh, what happened in the parents' childhood that would have led them to have difficulty with uh, certain kinds of limit setting or uh, certain types of rescuing behaviors or separation issues or dealing with the child's emotionality. Uh, what 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 happened when the child first learned to walk and how how did the, ch- the parent um, establish ways what's to touch and what's not to touch and what what did the parent do when the child was curious or or crawling and it takes time to go through what it meant to live in the world together and what people did under different kinds of situations what was what was the child's experiences with school? How did they read? How was school associated with success? There's some kind of difficulties. And this, this is a study of history. And it, and it, it depends on the uh, subtleties of, of, a, of the parents and the therapist and the child to try to understand what are the possible reinforcements for these actions in one, one place or another and what could be done instead. And what's start to get into it, it, it makes sense because we can account for, oh, okay, it doesn't happen here. Well, how come it didn't happen here but it happens there? So it, you can get, you can get uh, a sense of uh, consensus once, once we start to uncover the patterns of behavior. So it sounds that it's a very individualized approach. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, that's very important because we, once we move to a diagnostic system and we've lumped everybody under depression, ADHD, bipolar, anxiety. When you look at each person's history of living in the world, all these so-called symptoms have different histories and different times in which they occur and different consequences when the behaviors are emitted. So we're lumping people as if we're talking about a common group when when I don't understand the, the commonality is only they do this particular behavior more frequently than others, but when they do it and why they do it is a very difficult problem to to uncover. I see. Can you share um, an anecdote or two about what you've seen in your practice or elsewhere of kind of before and after for someone that kind of showed up with these behaviors and then you worked with them and, and saw a change? Well, sure. Because the other kid that... Um, comes in and it, it, it was adopted and uh, lost his parents. Uh, father died of drug abuse. The mother died of uh, some other drug abuse. And the, the youngster was rescued by a, a girlfriend of, uh, of the father. And she was told right off the bat the youngster has ADHD. And the problem is that all along, what happens is the child, as soon as the child is seen as deficient, what happens is we then compensate for deficiencies, and that leads to a reinforcement of being deficient, so that not being able to do things becomes a pattern of behavior that gets uh, accommodations and uh, it gets people to uh, overlook uh, lower expectations, extra help. Now, for, for a youngster who wants people to love him and care about him, having extra help and having less failure rate is a wonderful thing. So the youngster very quickly learns to say, I can't. This kid was often go off for walks with the youngster. He would fall down all the time. And, and everybody had to kind of watch and make sure he'd pick him up and make sure he wasn't going to fall and get hurt. And So there's a whole reinforcement of I can't, I need help. 
do you love me if I'm struggling? And once you do an ADHD thing, you're, you're always dealing with what special circumstances you have to introduce to remediate this biological problem. So what happens is year by year goes on where the youngster doesn't uh, function without somebody sitting there, reminding them, lowering expectations, doing for them. And yeah, you can, you can get a kid to get through school, but they really don't get very far because it, they get totally reliant on the management of others. Now, once it, once it started therapy with me, I started to say, well, how can we account for these behaviors differently? What's the reinforcements? How is this child getting re- uh, almost encouraged inadvertently and unwittingly to do these behaviors? And how can we slowly but surely encourage a different psychosocial pattern where the child starts to see there's some benefits to competency or that they that they could get in a different kind of relationship with those around them? Uh, and that's a very difficult problem because once you learn to live in the world one way, what's the difficulty to change it? And it takes parents time to learn this. It takes children time to see that different things can happen with different kinds of effort and tolerance for failure and what it means to fail and accepting failure. So very complex, but uh, I think it's worth it rather than a kind of a lifetime of of uh, rescuing and compensating. And the outcomes for traditional methods really haven't been that, that good. So you can see how uh, it's reasonable to to talk about something new. Right. So um, what do your peers in the mental health field think of the return to psychology approach to dealing with so-called ADHD behaviors? Are you getting validation or pushback um, from like psychiatrists, schools, and so on? Or how is that going over? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think a lot of people going to uh, therapy see the power of the environment. Uh, it's not a negation of biology, but it's, it's saying that uh, you can sometimes understand that a, a historical study of the individual, which is what we're trained to do, they're much more likely to buy into this kind of an intervention uh, it can put them, it can put everybody at odds with the, uh, most accepted paradigms. Uh, people who control insurance companies are often controlled by psychiatry and, uh, so it can push with odds with that stuff, but it, it's, uh, many people start to see that this is a, a much more subtle and predictive way of understanding what would account for the person to do the behavior now and not some other time. So I get good responses from people I work with, therapists I work with, when they start to see the category system that I'm imposing. Uh, I think uh, the doctors only know to do the diagnoses and the medications. They they don't study this. This is a, this is a profession in itself to become a, a therapist. It's a study of individuals' development over time. It's not something that physicians are well-versed in, so they, I'm not even sure they understand what to look at and what to investigate. I, I wish we could have a, uh, a different kinds of training, because I know in medical schools, they don't get all that much. Uh, they get psychiatry. They don't get uh, a great deal of um, developmental history and, and uh, re- the notion of behaviors are reinforced. We're generally shifting to a... Um, Disorder model, uh, depression, all these things, they're not seen as 
evolve psychosocial behaviors that get um, patterned over time. It's a loss of, of, of a metaphor of understanding in general. And so I think it just depends on uh, whether a person's kind of interested in exploring uh, a different way of understanding how people come to be in the world. Is there anything that you think uh, listeners might want to know that I haven't asked yet? That that the notion of learning, to say the, these behaviors are reinforced, doesn't mean that uh, parents cause the behaviors. Uh, and it, it doesn't mean that person is responsible for the behaviors. So there's a, a blame thing where, so the notion that it's reinforced or learned, it, it means that bio, your own, all behavior is biological and your response to the world has to do with your biological state, and which is a function of all you've experienced biologically and, and its interaction in the environment up until the point within that situation. So uh, it's not a negation of biology, but it's saying that you can change responses over time, including biology, as you learn to respond differently. And some kids are very difficult to socialize because they have all kinds of problems. And, uh, it, it becomes a, a problem to find a way to work with particular kids so that certain kinds of behaviors aren't inadvertently and wittingly reinforced, but that doesn't mean you caused it. And the other important issue is that a, a, a strategy that tries to get some buy-in from the child or some consideration of the child's uh, comfort to do the activity doesn't mean permissiveness. It, it means that you, you could always coerce something as a last resort, but you can... You, you, you're probably better off finding a way for the child to want to do something that rather than force them or to somehow, uh, you know, uh, through controlling the resources or imposing some kind of anxiety-provoking outcome because you're creating other kinds of side effects that you might not always be aware of. Uh, that those side effects in, in the long term play out in a, in a very subtle way in terms of their relationships with their uh, employers and spouses that what you're looking for is somebody that understands how to relate mutually with others and construct relationships that have some kind of viability both for the person and the person they're interacting with. So there's a kind of comfort level for everyone involved. So it's, it's not a permissiveness and it's not a blame issue. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We've been talking with Dr. Craig Weiner, a psychologist from Massachusetts. This has been Mad in the Family. So I'd just like to thank Miranda and Craig for that interview and also to thank the people at Watchier Writers Club Providence, Rhode Island for assistance with the interview recording. And as always, thank you so much for listening and until next time, take care. Thank you for listening to the Madden America podcast. Visit maddenamerica.com for more news, views, and updates.